The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I'm doing great today. I'm always doing great today. Whenever I get a chance to live in Knoxville, Tennessee, how could you not be great? So, it's a wonderful night. Yeah, and I guess the JPWA had their graduation, right? Well, we had our graduation on Friday night in Gladeville, Tennessee, and uh, a lot of people showed up. Uh, I'm glad to see the support for JPWA from the, a lot of the kids' families came, and uh, parents, boyfriend, girlfriend, and uh, it was great. Yeah, we had a good time. Uh, Gladeville had a good show, and uh, everybody left happy, I hope. I'm pretty much the ones I talked to let's happen and, and we're happy by the time uh they got their graduation diploma and uh yeah it was it was a really good night Friday night and now as we record this uh I get to watch Survivor series live as it happens and they just took down they're showing a replay from the uh uh let's see the kickoff show and they have the gobbledygooker come in and win the 24-7 title, and now they're showing him backstage. So that that's how good I'm doing tonight. While I was waiting for you to call, I was checking this out. And now there's bird seed or whatever it must be for the gobbledygooker to find, uh, oh, my goodness, to find his, <laughs> to find his way to whatever he's going to find. Anyway, that's everything's wonderful. Everything's good. Everything's great. And, uh, we're done for 2020 at JPWA. Our next class is going to be happening uh, January 4th through March 26th, 2021. So in the meantime, I've got a, a seminar, a three-day seminar in the Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, in between that time, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of preparation time. So all things are good. You know, watching Survivor Series mention the gobbledygooker and kind of silliness and all that going on, what do you think about the uh, current product? You're not, it doesn't seem like you're feeling it right now. Well, listen, uh, anything I have the opportunity to absorb and, and observe, how about that, absorb and observe, um, these days with the current product, I... Uh, some in, some of the things I, I look at and I, I like and some of the things I look at and I'm uh, not so sure that uh, I would uh, – that I'm not so sure that it would um, excite me back if I was a young man trying to get in the business. But I don't know. I can't say that because I'm looking at it from different eyes these days. And I know that everyone there is working hard and I know everybody there is giving a, a hell of an effort and – uh, everybody wants to say they fall short, and, and it's easy to be a critic when you're when you're sitting on the sideline and and not having to deal with whatever they're having to deal with. So, I honest to God, I I, I would uh, rather stay positive and say these guys are giving it an honest effort, and 
going out and doing what they have to do in this uh, unprecedented time we're living in. The current wrestling, I mean, maybe it's not exactly for me. They do some things, like the Undertaker stuff, you know, get me interested as an older fan. The gobbledygooker stuff, obviously, is kind of just corny and and. You know, a little, you know, a little stupid. Let's just be honest. But the Undertaker stuff is cool. I like that they're honoring him for his thirty years in WWE. Yeah, I do too. I think that's very apropos, and I think it's deserving of a, of a guy like the Undertaker. So, um, look, nothing stays the same. We're all going to change, and, and sports will change. The entertainment business will change. So I, I refrain a lot of times from just coming out and saying, oh, this is terrible, oh, that's terrible, oh, this is hokey and that's hokey. Well, because there's always elements in professional wrestling that have been terrible and hokey at the same time. So um, I, I don't want to be one of those guys that I remember growing up who who hated everything and everybody. Uh, I, I, I speak of Al Madrill sometimes, and he was 30 years old. Uh, when I came to California, and they put me with him as a partner. And he hated it. He, he hated any of the young guys. He hated anything new. He was bitter, uh, had a lot of issues, and just just a, a, a nasty guy. And, and I couldn't understand it until I hit 30 and and had been through some things he had been through, and then I got it. I understood it. And, and I, I have to catch myself sometimes because I don't want to be a negative uh influence or force or speak negatively of these guys who are going out there trying to make it the best product they can. Um, does everybody do a, do a 100% great job all the time? No, there's some who are playing wrestling. And there's some who are um, going out there and, and feeling it and getting into it. But, um, you know, we can't go backwards. We've got to go forwards and if this is uh, what we have to endure for the time being, so be it. I'm sure I'm sure someone or something is going to come along eventually and we're all going to get back uh, into the swing of things, or we're not. So I still have a, a love for the business. And I still have a love for the people who love it back and really feel it and want, want to do something um, – with their life and uh, and make it happen for them. So I had a dream. We all had a dream at one time. And if this is their dream, why not let them live it and let them let them do it the best way they can? You know, we're 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 all having to deal with uh, a time that nobody else throughout the throughout the business has had to deal with. So. Uh, Live and let live right now. At least that's my attitude at this time. And by the time this next match is over, I may have completely changed of heart, but who knows? So today on the show, we'd love to talk a little old school WWF, and we're going to go all the way back to 1994. Last week, we talked about 1995 Survivor Series. This week, we'll talk about the WWF Survivor Series 1994 Eleven twenty-three ninety-four to be exact, from San Antonio, Texas, in the Freeman Coliseum. The attendance was ten thousand people. Buy rate was a point nine, which is about two hundred and fifty-four thousand buys. Not really bad, especially when we were talking about last week when it was only one twenty-eight. So two fifty-four considerably, not that bad. Not 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 great, but not bad either. And of course, on the call we have Gorilla and Vince. So I mean. Pretty uh, interesting show just from that perspective. But what do you think? 10,000 people, 254,000 bodies. Well, look, uh, once again, San Antonio, the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum, was one of those classic buildings that uh, a lot of the guys enjoyed going to because it, it had that feel to it. And even Joe Blanchard would run the Coliseum occasionally. He usually uh, tried to run the Hemisphere in San Antonio, but I do remember a couple shows and in the Freeman Coliseum. And, uh, of course, at this time, uh, the pay-per-views for WWE were were still fairly fresh and still fairly new, uh, in a sense, and the building fit for, for what was going on. Uh, I remember meeting Chuck Norris in the locker room and him being a nice guy, but I don't think he really was keyed into what 
was going on at the time. He was just uh, the celebrity guest referee, I, I guess. And um, he was having fun. He seemed like a nice enough guy. But um, San Antonio, the, the fans were on, on fire, and they've always had – Texas always, has always had a lot of uh, – uh, rowdy fans, rowdy people come to the matches, and and uh, I don't think it was that much, uh, so much family friendly back then, or or maybe it was. It just it, you still had your rowdy crowds. So I, I I just remember it being a uh, crazy night. I remember Mabel coming to me saying, "Hey, uh, for for the, our gimmick, he wanted to hit me with a cross body block." And and at first I thought he was ribbing, so I just said, "Okay." And and he says, all right, then here's what we'll do. I'll I'll come in and I'll get you. You reverse me, and I'll I'll go to the second rope, and I'll come off with the cross body block, body block, and I'll come off this way to my to my left. And he's showing me how he do it and walking through it, you know, in the back. And I'm looking at him, going, oh, well, okay, because I've I've already said I could do it and would do it, and I I wasn't about to say, yeah, but I thought you were ribbon. And uh, anyway, so we went out there, and I never felt the thing. Uh, took care of me, protected me, and um, uh, that was that. So it was it was an uh, interesting night. Yeah, what was uh, Chuck Norris like? Obviously, you know, we're going to talk about him a little bit as far as the special enforcer for the main event of the casting match. But what was he like as a guy? Nice guy. Um, again, I think he, he was happy to be there. It was a live audience, and... And once again, I don't believe that he was in tune with what the angle was. I think they just called him up and said, hey, Chuck, do you want to do this? And he said, uh, what is it, wrestling? Sure, sounds like fun. And and come in and do it and get paid and uh, lend his name. I think he was, what was it, Texas uh, Walker, Texas Rangers. Was that the name of the show? Oh yes, great show! Hell yeah! Okay, oh, yeah, right. Now hold on. Have you? Uh, yeah, a great show. Yeah. Well, how many episodes have you watched of uh, Walker Texas Ranger? I've seen a right. few. I've, I've seen quite a few. Okay, I like Chuck Norris uh, as a person. Although I've I've had maybe a total of uh, ten minutes interaction with him, um, but as an actor, I don't really think uh, he was. I, I think you, he he came to the table, read the script, and said, "Okay, let's do it." And just went out and tried to remember as much as he could. But nice guy backstage, in, engaged with everybody, and was was kind of cool and and not standoffish, and and uh, was willing to do whatever he needed to do. And I, I I could appreciate that. So it was very very cool, very nice. Are you with all these? Chuck Norris isms that that are out there. Are you believing that? Is he a legit tough guy or what? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, only Chuck and uh, the people he's fought probably knows a real tough guy. You know, he Chuck was a, a point karate guy. He he, I don't believe he was in uh, full contact when full, when karate was uh, becoming popular in the U.S. in the 70s. And I, I started taking karate in 1970. My instructor, Bill Gray, in Houston, Texas, uh, hooked up with Bill Wallace, the world middleweight champion at that time, full contact. And he and a guy named Chuck Norris uh, would go around these PKA tournaments. Uh, Norris, or not Norris, uh, Joe Lewis, uh, Bill Wallace, and Benny Rikitas were the heavyweight, middleweight, and light heavy, lightweight champions of uh, full contact karate at that time and chuck was uh around the tournament circuit i guess but um he was a point guy you know where you wouldn't go full contact it was just you would uh, find a target on the body and uh if you got an opening and judges would call either you you made contact or you didn't but but it wasn't uh you weren't going all out you weren't going for a knockout you were just going for again points and uh uh, stayed away from the face and things like that. So while no doubt he was an athlete, no doubt he knew the martial arts, um, I, you know, legend and and uh, myth-telling 
go around so much, you, you don't really know who to believe. And, and it's, it's kind of like Mickey Rourke. I know Mickey Rourke was a boxer and tough guy, apparently, all this stuff. But I've never seen him fight a street fight. Mitch Green talks about Mike Tyson, you know, beating him up. And, and, he, and you can see the proof in the pictures on that. But I, I really don't know anybody who, who Chuck Norris has beat up. So uh, I'm not saying he's not a tough guy. I'm not saying he couldn't be a tough guy. I'm just saying... I don't know, but I like the fact, once again, with the uh, ballyhoo and claims and mythological statements, you know, that uh, I've I've read all the Chuck Norris stuff, which is kind of cool, which is kind of funny, but, you know, I I think it goes back to you say, say something long enough and enough times, it just becomes fact, so... I do know he 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 was having fun. He it seemed he seemed to enjoy himself with the guys, and the guys seemed to enjoy talking to him uh, backstage too. So I the one bump I do remember specifically, I think Jeff Jarrett was coming to the ring, and uh, Chuck got out of the ring and super kicked Jeff, gave him a side kick, and Jeff took a beautiful bump head over heels. Uh, right up the aisle on the concrete, and I thought, "Ow, that must have hurt." But uh, that's that was that was uh, what the times called for back then. At this point in '94, it does seem like not a dead period, but a little bit slower. Obviously, when we talk about '95, that was a real dead period. But '94 does seem to be almost heading in that general direction. Are you sensing a little bit of a, a lull in the business at this point in 1994? Well, again, uh, you know, I I I hate to keep uh, dwelling on it, but it, it it did seem like a dead period just because of the 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 vibe, the overall attitude and atmosphere that was going on. Um, it, it was during the time that uh, the trial, the the steroid trial, had had ended not that much long before, and. The way business was going, um, there was no indication that it was going to get better anytime soon. So uh, there was, it seemed like there was some mutiny talk, and of course, I think it was Razor and Kevin who went first. And um, it just, you know, I, I think after you're hot for so long, obviously, you, you can't sustain that heat. Um, it has to it has to cool off sometime, and I think that that's where we found ourselves up until uh, you know Steve Austin became Stone Cold, and the other things uh, started happening as well. So it's it's just a matter of time. Everything has its time. Everything has its place, and I that's one reason why I, I anxiously await the next step and the next move, not just. Uh, with with professional wrestling and WWE, but just our overall lay of the land here, not not only in the U.S., but uh, across the pond in England and uh, all of Europe and Japan and all these places that at one time thrived. You know, you can you can only go so long before uh, people grow up. The next generation comes along and. And want something new, so that—that's, I, I think, a pretty standard fare in thinking that everything changes, and what one generation loved and thought was great, the next one's just going to uh, crap on because they have their own identity and want their own heroes and want their own things to love and and get into. So, um, 1994, 1995, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much a. a a cold winter for a lot of people, I guess. He dark match to start things off. Bob Holly defeats Quang. Obviously, you know he's the kind of a, a race car driver. He's Bob Holly at this point, and Quang is a Savio under a mask. I don't know if you really kind of saw money in either of those two characters. Maybe the guys playing the characters were, were great hands, but I don't know about the race car driver and the you know the karate wheeling uh, quang at this point i think uh bob holly when he came in and um thurman 
Sparky Plug. Sparky Plugs. Thurman Sparky Plug. Uh, I think he did what a lot of us did was like uh, Vince or Pat or whoever was telling everyone the gimmick back then was, uh, okay, we got this gimmick. You're, you like driving cars. Huh? Okay, we'll, we'll call you Sparky Plug. Ha, ha, ha. And he's going, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Instead of saying, ah, you know, I'm not really feeling events. And that's what a lot of guys did. Uh, back then, you, you, you pretty much, <laughs> if they didn't have something for you, I guess you went with whatever the boss suggested. And then later on, as you earned his trust and you had confidence and believed in something else, that's when you could present it. And Bob Holly was certainly guy, and I like Bob. I, I knew Bob from Smoky Mountain, but he was definitely one of those guys that um, you, you you could be playing one day, one minute, and the very next minute, all you had to do was say, hey, Bob, there's a fly in your suit, and he would go off the rails. So, uh, he was legitimately tough. He was legitimately on edge uh, and and ready to, ready to jump in an instant, but um, that's where it was back then, you know, uh, until he got a chance to fit in that hardcore category, because I think he did very well in the hardcore, with the hardcore title and became hardcore Holly. That was Bob's personality, just a grumpy old guy. No, no, he wasn't old back then, but he was certainly, um, if he didn't like you, he let you know. And uh, if you were going to get respect from him, you definitely were going to earn it. And he'd make you earn it. And, and Savio, on the other hand, was so laid back and one of the greatest guys you'd want to know. And so was Bob. Bob was a good guy. But uh, he just had a different personality. And, and you're right. Sometimes when you give somebody a mask or a different gimmick than who they really are, it, it clicks. And other times it doesn't. And I think... Um, there's a lot of elements that have to come together from from all the work and and click and unfortunately for not just those guys but but I felt it too you just you're not you're not getting in that groove you're not fitting in that in that peg you're you're, you're you got to find something else and we just I, some guys just said all oh, to hell with it you know so you're right maybe for the first match it wasn't quite a exposition or uh, exhibition or exposition, whatever words I want to use tonight, I'll use them. Exhibition of, uh, you know, two two guys who who were being featured in in a prominent position. I mean, they were just going out there as Sparky Plug and Quang, and it wasn't lighting the fire under a lot of the, the fans at that time. So, that's where we found ourselves in 94, and as we talked about last year, or last week, or last year, uh, we, we didn't, you know, 95 didn't get much better for a few people, so that's where we were. Yeah, for sure. And as yeah. we start off the card, Survivor Series Elimination Tag Match, the bad guys, Fatu, Razor Ramon, Sione, 1-2-3-Kid, and the British Bulldog with Alpha and Captain Lou Albano. Defeat the Teamsters of Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart, and Shawn Michaels in about 22 minutes. Pretty good. If you really look at that, I know maybe you're thinking, like, oh, I don't know. But if you actually really kind of look, you got Razor Ramon, one, two, three, kid, Bulldog is in the match. You got Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Neidhart, Owen, Michaels. It's a pretty good star-studded team there. Maybe not in the greatest positions and maybe not booked the best, but th- those are some... Pretty decent team, but I pretty much think everyone in that match is a pretty good damn good worker. Well, no doubt, no doubt, and and there were some uh, damn good matches on that card. But um, I think Survivor Series was I, Survivor Series, of course, anything new, pretty much if it's done well. And, and when they started Survivor Series, it was done well. You had dynamic personalities and characters on each team, and each guy could work. Each person on the team um, knew their role and, and knew how to be who they who they were to where people would get excited and people would uh, pay attention to them. So, sure, Shawn Michaels and Razor, along with uh, uh, J- 
Jeff and Bulldog. My God, man. And, along, and, and Fatu. So, yeah, it's pretty strong, pretty strong uh, team if you if you ask me. But uh, once again, I think the dynamic of the, the Survivor Series that year wasn't a strong one. So they did what they had to do with what they had. Really, the way the match goes is Diesel first eliminates Fatu, then Diesel eliminates 123Kid, then Diesel eliminates Sione. Bulldog's out of there, then really the Teamsters are all going to be gone, and then Ramon is going to be, Razor Ramon is going to be the sole survivor. But it looks like just in the match itself, really trying to get over Diesel. He's kind of young at this point, and, and about, you know, in, in about a, I think it's a few weeks' time. That if it's not less than a week, he's going to win the WWF title from Bob Ackland. So he's really getting a push. And obviously, Razor Ramon, who they love and they love in that role, is going to end up being the sole survivor. Diesel, at this point, do you think he was ready for the world title? Uh, you know, nobody's ready until you just get in there. If you wait till you're ready, you'll never be in there. And I think uh, Diesel was a guy close to seven foot, if not seven foot. And the only way to get him ready is to put him in there. And even if he's not ready, uh, you, you can only hold back so much. And I think at that time, obviously with things happening the way they were in 94 and 95, there wasn't a lot of excitement. So why not try to get people excited about a, a seven foot giant winning the, the championship. And uh, nobody can deny that, that Kevin Nash, uh, is a personable guy. He is. He's a funny guy. He's he is uh charming. He he's he's funny and and uh he appeals to to a lot of people. Um he he understands how how to entertain, he understands how to engage and get people uh get their attention. So even if some thought he wasn't ready, and I'm sure there were a lot of people who thought he wasn't ready yet, but it's 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 subjective. And if the if the office believes he's ready, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And I think in that case, he would be he would be out of his mind to say, "Hey, I'm not ready yet. Don't give me this chance." Of course, you have to be ready. You have to believe you're ready at all times. Even when you're not, fake it till you make it. If you if, if you don't believe you're the world champion, uh, you you better start believing because that's really what it takes. And Kevin always believed in his abilities, and rightfully so. Uh, whether whether it didn't always draw the best, or whether it didn't always get the best reaction or best matches, uh, a lot of times, and I've learned this through the years, that there's a reason why. Uh, the best workers don't always get the best matches. I mean, people want to see the unusual, the uh, the the out of the ordinary stuff. Now, you know, you can see dogs and cats all day long, but in WWE, you want to see lions, tigers, and bears, and the unusual and the different. And that's that's where you came to see him back then. So, it made sense, in my opinion, to uh, go ahead and do that with him. Yeah, even at that age, because you got to start somewhere, and, and the younger the better. If you picked up, you did. If not, they'd take the title off him and uh, put it somewhere else. And as we saw, eventually they did. So, ready or not, here he comes. Yes. And if you think about it, with this being the new generation era and them kind of going in a different direction after Hogan's been gone, for a long time now, basically, you know, over a year, he, he's going to be gone. They're, they're going in a different direction. They're really kind of steering away from any of those quote-unquote steroid guys and that kind of controversy and that sort of trouble. So they put the title on, you know, legit wrestler, Bret Hart, and, and a guy who, who just, you know, obviously not a steroid guy and, and just was a, a great worker. Then, you know, you, Yoko, you know, is going to be champ for a bit, and then Diesel, obviously, will eventually, uh, after this, show will eventually win the title. Do you think that played a role into it, too, that you're going to go to, away from any sort of steroid guys into, like, these just monsters? Absolutely. Uh, the, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was was certainly either in the front of someone's mind, but definitely 
on the table. Uh, let's get away from the look. Let's go for a more natural, streamlined worker and see if we can do it this way. And and they eventually did. You're right with Brett and uh, even with Flair. You know, Flair was not uh, a huge guy, but at the same time, Rick always worked out, and he he would look like an athlete. He looked like uh, somebody when he came to and came in the gym, even with the blonde hair, people knew he trained and, and he did, he trained hard. I worked out with Rick a few times and he works hard in the gym. So, but, but he didn't, I don't know if Rick's ever been on the juice. I don't care. But the point is he, he knew how to train. He knew how to train his body and to, to look like an athlete. And that was what the WWE was looking for back then because they had had so much heat and the spotlight shined on them. So, uh, yeah, I think that was definitely a, a factor in getting guys who didn't uh, didn't necessarily look like they were on the juice. The next match up is the kind of a jokey eight-man tag Survivor Series match. The Royal Family, Jerry Lawler, Cheesy, Squeezy, and Sleazy defeats Clowns R Us, Doink, Dink, Pink, and wink in a match that inexplicably went 16 minutes. Just insane if you think about that for a second. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy. He, well, uh, now hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold on, jokey. <laughs> I mean, call it sleazy, keezy, and what? Wheezy, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, of course, it's still the WWE, and it's still, I think, uh, to the point of uh, let's give them circus clowns because we're we are sports entertainment. So. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much, I think, for the uh, the children. Mm-hmm. The children's, uh, yeah, let's let's let help the little children have some fun too. I don't know what that was about either. Like probably could have been shorter. I mean, by probably uh, about ten. Minutes. Oh, wait a minute! It could have been shorter. They had how many guys on Lawler's team? Sleazy, Beasy, and who? <laughs> Queasy, oh, okay. Sleazy, so now, and cheesy. Yeah. And how how tall were they? Uh, I would probably say four feet, maybe. Say maybe less. Okay, and they could have been shorter. All right. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Try the real. Here we go. Here, here we go. Lawler defeats Doink. Cheesy eliminates Wink. Cheesy eliminates Pink. Sleazy eliminates Dink. Survivors: Jerry, Queasy, Sleazy, and Cheesy. I mean, that's pretty, pretty epic. It's got to go down as one of the greatest of all time. And all those descriptions. And names of his partners, he being Jerry Lawler, were very, very, uh, were picked out and and thought of uh, specifically uh, for the Lawler team. So that 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 was a lot of planning going in there, and I'm sure Lawler was thrilled to be a part of it too. You can just imagine the agent or producer, whatever you want to call it, that is in charge of putting together this match with these guys. I mean, they must have. Must have been heavily, you know, been maybe drinking the night before. Heavily or drunk, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of times, I, I think everybody has just resigned themselves to this is what we've become, and this is what it is. Um, are we going to look at the uh, semantics of it, or the, or, or the the morality of it, of, of what? sacrilegious things we're doing to the business or are we going to keep our job and and do the best we can? I think that was the mantra back then for most guys and most guys probably were looking at it and laughing too. And it, again, it's not for everybody and, and it's not everybody's taste, that's for sure. But back then, uh, it was it was still a matter of people who enjoyed the entertainment part of wrestling. You know, we, I, I talk about it pretty much on a regular basis with, with other people at JPWA, and, and we've discussed it at times, too. It's coming from a different place, and it was coming from a different premise. Uh, we've been through the time period of, you know, all cartoon characters from Hulk Hogan, the Iron Sheik, and uh, whatever cartoon characters of the 80s, but and then you would go from that to the Stone Cold Steve Austin's and the Rocks, who were still cartoon characters, but more largely than life and authentic uh, than cheesesteak, sleazy, sleazy pie, whatever the 
King's partner's names were. I don't know. But, yeah, and, and the agents kind of sometimes would would know that, that it is what it is. It sure wasn't from their day, and, and they get that. So I think adaptability is, is a key thing to learn, and it's still a key thing to learn uh, for the business, no matter what company you're working for. The next match up is what I would consider the main event of the evening, but obviously, you know, the WWF at this point did not think so. It's the WWF World title match. It's going to be a submission match. Bob Backlund with Owen Hart defeats Bret Hart with the British Bulldog. Match was about 35 minutes, and obviously there's a big title change because Bret was the champ going in. Backlund wins the title. Very cleverly done finish here. I feel like Pat Patterson probably had his hands on this one just because he seems like the go-to guy for good finishes here as Owen Hart basically gets his mom. His father, Stu Hart, won't do it, so he begs Helen Hart, who's at ringside, to please throw in the towel. He pretends to cry. He totally heals it up tricks his mother into thinking that Brett was in mortal danger, which he really was because he was stuck in the cross-face chicken wing submission by Backlund, but he would not submit. It was, uh, I would say, probably about eight minutes or so. He's really in the hole for a while, and he would not submit. But Owen, fake cries, mom throwing the towel, Bob Backlund, new champion. Really good creative finish, and obviously gets over a few things. Gets over um, Backlund, you know, as a shocking champion. Ten years after losing the title, I mean, it's just absolutely shocking. And then it gets over Owen Hart. What an asshole! What a heel! He tricked his own mother to screw his own older brother. It's a crying shame that people aren't uh, exposed or don't have the opportunity to to watch Owen and how talented he really was, how funny he really was, how how authentic. He really was. He had fun no matter where he was at, whether it was in in the ring or backstage. And that was classic Owen. That's something I do remember. And and he he was the the, the best river ever. He was the best. Uh, I I don't think I ever saw him in a bad mood. And that night, especially with Bob Backlund, because. Uh, have you ever met Bob? Oh, work with him a quite a few times. Yes. Oh is, my goodness. He is nuts. Yes. 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 And yes, he is tremendously nuts, and in in a, in the best way possible. He he really was. And um, before you would he would sign an autograph. He made every child have to recite the President of the United States. Yeah. It. it yeah. What? That's that's great. And and to to never break form, never break character. That that wasn't a character. That's Bob being Bob. But he is he's such so smart and crazy like a fox. But he never lets anybody in because that's what he did back then, and that's what he does now. When he was such a, a howdy doody baby face, uh, my goodness, I've heard stories um, about Bob in the back. And then to watch him as a heel go out there and work these matches, especially at that age, and to be in the shape he's in, still to this day, I've seen him, I uh, saw him, gosh, two years ago in uh, Jacksonville, I think, and looked tremendous. And, uh, my gosh, to go out there and work with Brett and go that long and be that convincing, along with Owen and and being that younger brother, being that brat, being that guy, and, and and Owen never broke character. So, yeah, that that was a good match. I do remember watching that, and I I, I remember Bob being uh, brilliant and Brett being Brett can work with anybody and, and make it all look great. What did you think about? That finish, obviously shocking that Backlund's going to win the title 10 years after his initial WWF championship run. Did you think like, oh, wow, what interesting direction they're going in here? No, I I, I don't think that so much as there there have been rumblings, there have been uh, whisperings, or not whisperings, but there, there have been rumors, I guess, that Kevin Nash was, was going to get the championship because he was a big guy, and that was the direction. So, 
rather than beat Brett, why not uh, use Bob as the uh, link to get the championship and and, and stay keep Brett fresh uh, as an opponent for Kevin and, and and go that route. That that wasn't said or or expressed by anyone. It's just one of those things that. Uh, when you're looking around trying to think what's next, instead of asking somebody, hey, what's next? Because they'll probably tell you absolutely nothing. Um, you know, that was that was a rumor that uh, here's Diesel going to get an opportunity to shine and uh, why beat Brett? You know, let's, let's have Backlund be that uh, that link in there. So, uh, it was it was kind of yeah you're right maybe it was shocking at the time, but uh, at the same time knowing that back then I I do believe it was a little uh, a little different method to the booking where they did have a have a somewhat of a plan down the road and uh, knowing that part made me think well if they did it tonight who would be the next guy who's who's next in line so. Nobody knew for sure. None of the boys, except maybe Diesel and Sean or whoever else. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a shock because WWE was less predictable back then than they are now. Very kind of cool, random title change there. And obviously, Diesel's going to win, end up winning the title at the end of November at MSG in about seven or eight seconds over Backlund, and really kind of catapulting. Diesel, maybe into you know superstardom, but it didn't really you know well, we can get into that time. It didn't really kind of uh, set box office records. We'll just say that it was didn't lead to big business, and the whole business was kind of down at that point, really. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it really was down, and uh, I, I think the negative publicity was still a stigma. And I don't know that a lot of people were really watching for for those reasons. I could be wrong, but everybody had a reason for tuning out. You know, you'd just gone through the period of Hogan and, and cartoons and uh, the wacky, wacky stuff, and now you're getting a whole different breed of uh, performers in there. So uh, it was a change, and the generation who was in Hogan was growing up and having kids, and and Hogan's name had been tainted, I guess, and WWE had been tainted, and uh, they weren't looking at it as that fun, you know, eat your prayers, say your vitamins type thing. And yes, I meant eat your prayers and say <laughs> your vitamins. I I didn't mess up on that one it, because it, it was it was pretty much a uh, a feeling that why why would you get on there every week and say something and all of a sudden you have these other people claiming something else and uh so i think it took a little while to regain the faith and and confidence of the the public again to come back and plus they needed somebody to cheer for and boo and, and some uh, intriguing characters and personas to get behind so uh th- th- that that's that's my thoughts on it. It is interesting, you know, the direction that you know, they decide to go at this point. I feel like Brett still had some legs, but obviously they kind of want to change it up a little bit. He'll have, you know, his, a few, little bit of a few with Owen, a little bit of a few with Backlund. He's had a lot of different options, and obviously continue on his feud with Jerry the King Lawler. So maybe he doesn't need the title. Maybe kind of Diesel may need it, and they're going to kind of go in a in different direction. The Vince obviously saw some money signs in Nash, but kind of moving away from that, we'll go into your match of the even the Survivor Series elimination ten man tag. This is a great team, and I, I mentioned this to you before. Kind of an underrated team that no one mentions, but I love this team. The Million Dollar Team, Bam Bam Bigelow, King Kong Bundy, Tatanka, and the Heavenly Bodies, Jimmy Del Rey, and yourself, Dr. Tom Pritchard, with, of course, the Million Dollar Man, David DiBiase, defeat Guts and Glory, Adam Bomb, Billy and Bart Gunn, Lex Luger, and Mabel with Oscar. Of course, you know, you got to love your team, right? The million-dollar team, that's a pretty uh, loaded team. Uh, Bigelow and Bundy on the same team. Yeah, yeah, heavyweights. Uh, and and we were we were just glad to be there. So, uh, and 
once again, it was one of those things that uh, you're trying to build whoever you have on on, on your sides. And uh, Luger had been around for a little bit, and here you have Bundy and, and uh, Bam Bam. And, of course, the million-dollar man never hurt having him on your side. So, yeah, it was, um, like I said, uh, kind of a short night for me, but, uh, I wasn't. We weren't figured in, so I get it. And uh, uh, but overall, the guys had a great match. <laughs> I got squashed by Mabel, and uh, that was it. it. Was San Antonio, Texas, close to Houston? Too too close to Houston. Can't do the job. But yeah, watch this. So anyway, that that's all I had to say about that, and that's about what I remember about that match, John. I'm sorry, but. But uh, I, I always got along with Bam Bam. I always got along with Bundy. Got along with Ted. Got along with Tatanka and Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy and Tatanka rode together a lot. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's another story for another day too. So, I'm glad we won. It, it yes. added to the. It added to our uh, uh, batting average. I think when they reviewed our matches and said, "Oh, you guys won the Survivor Series 19." 94, and uh, we'll add this to your statistics. Yeah, it's so funny. We were talking about last week. You lasted four minutes. Here you lasted three minutes and 58 seconds. How so about you that? Are, like, what is up with the quick exits? I, I'm not like well, that that, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not quite sure that anybody really liked me there, and I'm okay with that <laughs> now. You know, before I used to used to brood over it, but now I've, I've got over that, that stage, and, and you can't brood over every, everything. You you don't want to look backwards. You want to look forwards, and and uh, those were times. <laughs> those were times in my life I'd rather not look at at all. But <laughs> but sometimes you have to, to 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 know where you're going. You have to know where you've been sometimes, and so you don't go back and don't take the same exit twice. So then Mabel gets counted out. Bam Bam Bigelow eliminates Adam Bomb. Luger eliminates Jimmy Del Rey. Tatanka eliminates Bart Gunn. King Kong Bundy eliminates Billy Gunn. Lex Luger eliminates Tatanka. King Kong Bundy eliminates Lex Luger. And the sole survivors are Bam Bam Bigelow and King Kong Bundy. What a tag team that would be. Yeah, it would have been a great team. I mean, it really would. And uh, I'm surprised he didn't do more with those guys there. But once again, um, there's there's a lot of things that, that come into play. So Then the main event of the evening, the casket match, and we mentioned before, special enforcer, Chuck Norris, The Undertaker with Paul Bearer defeats Yokozuna with James E. Cornette and Mr. Fuji in about 15 minutes. I don't know if you remember this at all, but it just seems like one of those things where it was more sports entertainment than you're actually going to get a, a great match out of those guys, but the crowd was digging it. So what do you think, Undertaker defeats Yoko in the casket? Sometimes the best intentions uh, don't always work. And the Taker and Yoko were great friends. You, you can't go wrong when you have Fuji and Cornette at ringside and you have Paul Bear as well. Then, wasn't Chuck the special referee for this match as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, the special enforcer. Yeah, so here we go. We had... Uh, you know, we had a, a, a television star from his own series come in, Texas, or Ray, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, come to San Antonio, Texas, to to make sure the Undertaker and Yokozuna uh, can do have a contest of of fair means. I don't know, whatever whatever valiant word you want to add to it. But sometimes you go out and have. Uh, a vision in your head, and it just falls short. And I think this is probably what happened with Yoko and uh, Taker uh, have, having a great match inside uh, their head and understanding the the intention of, of what they wanted to do and add Chuck Norris as a part of it. And as I said, I remember Jeff Jarrett walking out and Chuck coming out and giving him a sidekick to the throat and Jeff taking a great bump for him. But... Um, while it probably captured everybody's imagination in the crowd, uh, there's more to it than that. And I don't know how Yoko was feeling that night. Don't know how the, how Taker was feeling that night. And uh, sometimes you just miss your mark. And I think 
uh, while looking back on it, we can always, hindsight being 2020, and I do mean 2020, uh, what a year this has been. So you can all, we can all look back and say, ah, you know, maybe, maybe the standards were higher, maybe the standards were lower. We don't know. But, but it, on paper, it looked good. On paper, you had the massive Yokozuna against uh, the Phenom. And uh, back then, he was even mythical and magical. And, uh, you know, some work and some don't. So I don't know what to tell you on that one, except that, uh, again, the best intentions don't always, don't always work. But they tried. They tried, they tried, and they brought Chuck in to help. And, of course, this was a rematch of the casket match at the Royal Rumble where Undertaker, I guess, legitimately is injured, so they're going to have to take him off TV and all the heels come out and they beat up Undertaker and they put him in the casket. So this was the rematch and Undertaker getting his revenge on Yokozuna. Of course, that was back when Yokozuna was the WWF champion in January of 94, and obviously at this point is a non-title match. So what are your kind of thoughts of not... The, the match itself, but not having the world title match in the main event, but having the Undertaker's revenge come at the main event. I think that might have been a product of people thinking Backlund uh, may not be able to produce the kind of match that he did. You can put faith in somebody and, and still have doubts. And I think, uh, how old was Bob at that time? Do you know? Oh, didn't they say he was 45 or 44? Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe so. Well, you know, you're not in in the. You don't feel the same at 44 as you do at 22 sometimes, or 30, or whatever. I mean, uh, maybe Bob, Bob has always worked out. Bob was always taking care of himself, and he was never huge into drugs or or drank excessively or anything like that. And uh, I think that there could have been the the thought of, well, you know, Bob hasn't been having these kind of matches in a while and uh, we're not quite sure that they can carry the main event. I'm not quite sure how it's going to work and maybe that that finish they wanted to do wouldn't wouldn't work in the main event spot. You know, you had to have Owen come down and you wanted the baby face to go over for your main event. You want to leave him happy. So uh, while that probably should have in all uh, rights and theory and line of thinking, at the same time, um, you know, star power. Uh, you got Yokozuna and uh, The Undertaker, star power, and, and Chuck Norris, you know, so you want to leave them happy, and you want to leave them with that that last sight of uh, your stars in the ring, and, and, and that's what they remember. You know, I'm not so sure that would have worked with Brett and Backlund being the last match, but... Uh, who knows what they were thinking back then? I, you know, I, I can just just knowing the little I know now, not knowing it then, but um, you know that that's what you want to want to do is leave your leave your audience happy, leave them wanting more, and uh, hopefully they'll come back and leave everybody satisfied. So that's that's kind of how I saw it and how I see it today. Yeah, it's interesting. The WWF, I guess, you know, a lot of the times would do that, that approach where the babyface would maybe go over at the end and everyone goes home happy, while a lot of other organizations, WCW, would be big on it. The heel goes over, you get heat at the end, and you, people want to watch the next time to see the guy get killed or, the, you know, him get his comeuppance. So, yeah, it's an interesting kind of just way of booking it, but that is WWF style. They, you know, tend to have the babyfaces go over more often than not. Yeah, I, I, the mantra has always been, well, I've always heard it, that they put smiles on people's faces. And, and there is a right time to get heat. There is a right time to leave them angry and wanting more and, and, and calling for the heel's head. But um, nine times out of ten, or maybe eight times out of ten anyway, um, I think the thought process was send them home happy so they have a good feeling when they leave as opposed to, uh, that that evil, no good son of a gun got over on our knight in shining armor, and uh, that 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 doesn't always hold true. There are times when when you need that evil 
feeling. But most times, especially on a big show, uh, you want to you want to show everybody that this can happen and and your hero can prevail. But it's not certainly it's not a rule etched in stone. It's not something that uh, uh, everybody should go by or everybody does go by. But um, when it's the right time, it's the right time. The Undertaker, obviously, we kind of mentioned it before, celebrating 30 years in the WWF tonight. Interesting that, you know, we kind of talking about 1994 and how he wins the main event there. Obviously, it would be a staple for many, many, many years. But it's interesting, 2020, still talking about him having his final farewell tonight and being kind of the focus of the show and really kind of the big promotion of the show as well. Uh, I know they're doing Rover Smackdown, but he's kind of been the, the the big deal and who's getting the most attention. What do you think about that? Is this the final farewell? Or are we going to maybe see uh, Taker have a few leading up to Mania, and that'll be his final farewell? I never say never, and I believe in the never say never uh, train of thought, too. It, you, you have a guy like The Undertaker who has certainly earned his, earned the respect of everyone, and paid his dues. Um, and a, a, a tribute certainly is fitting. And you know, this is, this is I beat it into the ground, no doubt, but this is a year like no other. And why not uh, try and draw a buy rate? Why not at the same time give a guy like The Undertaker a great uh, ceremony, a great tribute, and send him off this way? but with an open-ended send-off and always leave that element of doubt in everyone's mind that you never know where the dead man will come or be and, and uh, shine his light of justice wherever it, wherever he walks. So I, I think that would, would be the thing to do. I think it, it would be very apropos to uh, have people come out and pay tribute or just, just show a package or whatever they intend on doing. Uh, to to make this special, but always, always, always leave it open because the Undertaker is one of those uh, timeless, almost ageless personas that you can wear the the trench coat and the hat, and, and you can you can make him look ominous without having him do anything dangerous to to his health or anybody else's health. I think. I think just the presence of the Undertaker alone, uh, or if there's someone that comes along and gets his blessing and he christens them the next phenom, and and that won't happen for a while, no doubt, or or it may happen tomorrow. Don't know, but I I think an open-ended tribute celebration. Uh, leaving a doubt in everyone's mind. Hey, is it really over? You know, yeah, but is it? Shawn Michaels retired. Shawn Michaels said he wasn't going to be one of those guys who came out of retirement. But you know, <laughs> lo and behold, that magic number came up, and hmm, it's in Saudi Arabia. Let's go do a tag match. So you never say never. Never say never. And I've learned that. I've learned that, uh, and it's happened. In my in in my instances, uh, and and it's happened with other people too. So we don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what uh, hell what the next month brings. So I I think WWE does great tributes. WWE does does things right. They they bring in people who mean something to to the subject that the tribute is aimed at. Uh, they they touch people's hearts. They put the put all the great uh, videos and, and um, vignettes up that through the years have made these people special. So there's never been anyone like the Undertaker in modern history. Uh, I read a quote the other day that nothing's new in wrestling; it's all recycled. But at the same time. Um, the Undertaker, I think, broke ground. It was one of those guys that he, he, he everybody knew he was. He was the dead man, but it was uh, knew he. People knew he was he was playing a part, but he morphed into that part. He was the Undertaker when he came in. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have any tattoos. He didn't have. 
a lot of the scars and a lot of the etchings on his soul that he does now as the Undertaker. And he's forever going to be a part of uh, WWE, and he'll forever be the Undertaker. And even when he's Mark Calloway, he's still never going to be escape, be able to escape uh, being the Undertaker. It's uh, typecast or not, uh, it's the way it is. There's only one guy that can do it, and it's him. So I, I truly believe there will be a time because there's no Undertakers out there. There's no Stone Colds. There's no Rocks. There's no John Cena's. Uh, the closest we have right now is Roman Reigns, and he's still growing, and he's getting better, no doubt. But but what made those guys so iconic uh, was the fact they were able to step out on their own without anybody telling them. They might have been coached, and they might have been directed. But it's it's up to them to to seal the deal and go out and do it on their own and do it their way and make that persona and their personality uh, that iconic part that people remember. So do I think this is it for The Undertaker? Absolutely not. I think we'll see him again. Uh, but it'll be sparingly. It'll be in places where he's needed. And I'm sure he's going to... Uh, venture down to Orlando. I'm sure he's going to make special guest appearances at the Performance Center. By all means, that's what he's there for. That's what he should do. He should impart some of his wisdom and advice on these guys. And when he sees somebody with a star or a halo over their head, uh, then he'll venture over to him. And I think he's the perfect guy to sit down and you know, if you have a beer or you have a shot of Jack, or even if you want to have a Coke or Pepsi, <laughs> he'll sit and talk to you. And that's really what it takes. Uh, a guy like The Undertaker, who's been there and done that. And to talk to somebody, to straighten them out, or deliver a message that gets them on the right path they need to take. It, it, it's their path. It's their road. And, and he can walk down it with them, or, or tell them how to do it, but, but eventually... Uh, you're in the driver's seat, and he can—he's the guy who can who can tell you, do you need to, you know, put it in low gear, or do you need to speed it up, change gears, and and what do you need to do, and how do you need to handle it when it comes up? What what do you say when uh, you're you're in the middle of a big angle or a big match and or a big pay per view, and, and how do you navigate that? How do you figure out what the right thing for the match is? Um, I'm, I'm sitting here as we're talking, watching Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, and I remember Drew McIntyre as a young guy coming to FCW, had raw talent, had had a great uh, sensibility about himself, but he wasn't ready the first time. You know, you asked me if Diesel was ready the first time, but uh, you only know if you're ready when you're put in that position, when you're put in that spot, and Drew was put in that spot, and he found out he wasn't ready to uh, navigate that path. He he had uh, a few years of seasoning he needed to get done first, and he did. He went back to his home country, and and he he didn't he didn't quit. He found answers. He looked for answers. He asked questions, and now uh, he's getting his opportunity. It, it sucks that it's under these circumstances, but. Guys like Taker have been talking to him, um, and a lot of been a lot of veterans helping him out, and and he's learned and he's seen the error of his ways before. He he didn't have the confidence, he didn't have the courage that he has now, and Taker's one of those guys uh, that thank God he's he signed for, for the next fifteen years or for a lifetime, whatever it is. Thank God they have him there because he's he's one of those guys who can relate. To talent. He's one of the guys talent can relate to because they all grew up watching him. And they've seen how he is in the locker room. They've seen how he is in the ring. They've seen how he is out, out in public. And for as big of a star as he is, uh, he takes the time to mentor and he takes the time to talk to anyone who's interested. We saw him, we brought, he, he came down to FCW a couple times and never denied anyone uh, when, when they when he was done talking to the class 
and practiced, and even after practice, he stuck around and, and answered everyone's questions. And uh, if, they, if they had a private, uh, they wanted to have a private word with him, he did. He he took his time. And, and there's not too many guys that can do that or have the gravitas he does and knows how to communicate that to talent. So while this may be the end of his ring in-ring uh career for right now. I think he's going to be back in a WWE ring. Um, gosh, again, I don't think this is the end of him ever climbing through the ropes. I think he's certainly going to uh, make a trip or two to Orlando and certainly going to uh, be called on if if needed. And uh, the good thing about it is he's, he's always answered the call and I think he always will. Yes, very, very well said, Dr. Tom. I just want to mention a pro wrestling tees. You go to prowrestlingtees.com and pick up a JPWA shirt or a Dr. Tom Pritchard shirt. Just go to prowrestlingtees.com. Type in Dr. Tom Pritchard or the JPWA. You can also go to Patreon. Patreon page has been set up. You can become a patron and support the JPWA on there. You can also check out the website, jpwrestlingacademy.com. You could follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Of course, you can get Dr. Tom's book, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Dr. Tom, where can they get the book? You can get my book at Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom's book in the search engine, and they will get it for you. I'm not going to even mention the PayPal anymore because nobody cares, nobody listens, and nobody's done it for a while. But if you do want a personally signed autograph book, you can email me at uh, jpwrestlingacademy at gmail.com, and we'll work that out for you, too. Nice. And, of course, you got something coming up in December 4th, 5th, and 6th for AML. I am looking forward to going to uh, Winston-Salem. I believe the first seminar, first night starts at 6 p.m., and I'm going to be traveling over there during the day and uh, kind of taking my time, enjoying the scenery as I do, going through the mountains of uh, the Carolinas. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a nice time for three days in a row. Sound it awesome, of course. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week and every week right here on Take It to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.